We're starting a new sermon series this morning, and we're going to be in 1 Peter. If you want to open your Bibles to that, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, there's one in your chair rack just below you. Uh, and if you are using a chair rack Bible, the book of 1 Peter is on 1014, about page 1014. You can turn there or click over on your phone or wherever you have your copy of God's Word. This series, uh, we as your pastors have been thinking about, praying about for actually some time. Uh, before I went on sabbatical this summer, before Pastor Brian went on sabbatical this summer, we'd been talking about this sermon series that kind of God had been putting on our heart. In November every year, we usually take, I know you probably don't track these things, but for us, when we plan out our series, it is about every November we take time for a relationship series, and we talk about different relationships, sometimes in the family, and then other times, different kinds of relationships. We're talking about relationships again this year, but it has more to do with our relationships as Christians living in an increasingly diverse and secular world and culture that we live in. How many of you know we live in a very divisive time? Has anyone felt that or is that just me? Just me, okay. We all know we, we live in a, a culture, a world, a society that is more and more divided. I think I said diverse. Diverse wasn't the word I meant to use. I meant to use the word divided. We, we live in this world and society and culture that is more and more divided, perhaps, than it maybe ever has been, or at least since we've been living in it, at least the way we feel it. And we also live, uh, those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are Christians, you feel this, we live in, in a secular world and society and culture, a, a, a society and culture that has its own gods, that has its own values, that has its own priorities that are often different than those who would name the name of Christ as God and follow Christ as Lord. And so how do we navigate that? How are we called to live in that time? How are we called to relate to the world around us? We want to talk about that. Some of this, over these next few weeks, we're going to do five, a five-week series here, is going to be uh, a sermon and a message and looking at, the, looking at the text and what it has to say to us. Some of it is probably going to feel more like uh, a little family discussion that we're going to have. In fact, at the end of each service, um, starting next week, we'll have some Q&A time where we'll uh, allow you to text in some questions and we'll take some time to kind of discuss them because we think this is important. Am I going in and out? I thought it's not my ears, is it? All right, hold on. Um, yeah, I'm completely off here. Hold on. Uh, I don't know. We'll try it. It says I got full batteries. If it does it again, I'll take the uh, handheld. Um, you know, one of the reasons when we do this, we're talking and we're looking at what's going on inside this room or inside our two rooms or of Belmont and Burlington. We're talking about people at Mount Hope. We're not necessarily talking about what's going on out there with people who maybe aren't Christians or don't, wouldn't call themselves Christians, we're not even really talking about the church at large. We're talking about how do we at Mount Hope live in an increasingly divided and a secular world around us? 
Because I don't know if it's just me, and maybe this series is just for myself and Pastor Brian and Pastor Marv. Maybe we're the only ones feeling this. But I think it's more and more of a challenge to know how I'm supposed to live out my faith in the midst of this time and this place. I believe God put you here. I believe God put me here at this time and this place. But I have questions on knowing how I'm supposed to live for Christ during this time and in this place. Maybe it's your workplace, your school, and you feel these tensions. We want to talk about that. There's actually a book, it's a letter, as one of the books in the New Testament, this letter of 1 Peter, that Peter was actually writing to a culture and to a world that I don't think is too different from our world and our culture. He was writing to a world that was very divided and very, very secular. And we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. And I want to talk about three questions this morning really quickly. Who are you in the midst of the world that God's called you to live in? Why? Or maybe the better way to do it is, what do you do with all the pain and the trials that you experience living in this world? And third, how are you supposed to live? That third question is really going to be the subject of the next four messages over the next four weeks, but we'll touch upon it this morning. So let's start with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, considering this question, who are you? Listen to who Peter is writing to. Peter, this first follower of Jesus, this leader in the first century church, he starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he introduces himself. Now he addresses those to whom the letter is written to. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The first thing we understand is who Peter is writing to. He addresses them, and we understand it's not a letter to one person. It's not even a letter to one church. It is a letter written to many Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And Peter's writing from Rome. And he's writing to these Christians that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And he says this. This is what he calls them in that first verse. Jump back to that first verse. He says, to who are elect exiles... Elect exiles. I want to park just for a moment on those two words because that's how he describes them. Elect. In other words, they are the one, they are ones who chose to follow Jesus, God. They chose to accept God's offer. They, they follow the word. They have this hope in God, but they're also exiles. Exiles is an interesting word that Peter chooses because for a Jew, the, the word exile had a very particular meaning. I mean, if a, if a Jewish person heard the word exile, there was only one thing that they had in mind. 586 BC, when the Babylonian Empire came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And when Babylon came in, they came and they took the Jewish people out of Jerusalem. It was a huge, you talk about a brain drain. They took all the smartest and brightest people. They took them into the Babylonian empire. They scattered them. This was Babylon's way of keeping control over countries and organizations and nations that they would capture. They would take their people out and scatter them throughout the empire. 
And so that's what happened in the exile. And so this became a part of the Jewish people's history and, and understanding of themselves for years and years. We are people who have been exiled. They were people who were taken out of their country. They had to live in a foreign country. They had to live in a place that had new values, new culture, new gods, and find a way to live faithfully to their God in that place. Peter's not writing to Jewish people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. He's writing to non-Jewish people, but he calls them exiles. And they're not people, as far as we can tell, that were taken from another place and forced to live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, or Asia. No, they've lived there, but they're followers of Jesus. And so what Peter is saying is if you are a follower of Jesus and you are living in this world, it's like you are in exile. It's like you are someone who lives in a place that is not your home. And that's where you and I live. Peter's hearkening back to the words of Jeremiah, who in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is Jeremiah's words to those Jewish people in the 6th century B.C. And Peter's saying, that's like who you are. You are elect exiles. You have hope. You have faith in Christ. But you're not at home. That's who you are. You have hope. You're blessed by God. You're chosen by God. You have, you have, you have come to believe and trust in the Lord, but you're not at home. You and I always live with that tension. If you are a follower of Jesus living in this world, you live with that tension. Your hope is talked about in the next few verses. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Here's the elect part. Here's the chosen part. Here's, here's what you have as a follower of Jesus. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. That's your hope. Jesus is saying, uh, Peter's saying, you have hope because of what Jesus has done for you. Don't forget that. You always have that. that are, in fact, the words he uses says, he, that can never be taken away from you. Undefiled, it's, it's incorruptible, it's in heaven for you. That can never be taken away from you. But you're also exiles. You're also living in a place that's not your home. And you feel that at times, don't you? You feel that around you. You're, you're living in a place where you're, he, another word Peter uses later in this book is you're sojourning. You're passing through. And as you pass through, you interact with a lot of people. You're dependent upon the land that you live in. You're living in it, but it's not your home. And so you and I feel this tension because the world we're living in is, 
secular, but it's also increasingly divided. You're dispersed, you're spread out from one another. We've felt this division in this past 20 months, haven't we? A lot of it. You felt it and I felt it. And it's one thing to feel it kind of outside these walls and you feel it, but maybe you even feel it in your family. And divisions that you never thought would be there all of a sudden are there. Conversations that used to be fine are now awkward. But we've even felt it in the church at times. It felt like at times each thing that would go along would carry with it another separation, another division. Something would come up and all of a sudden we'd have another thing that would have the potential to divide us over. I don't know how many of you have watched the show, ever watched the show Gold Rush, but they have this show on the Discovery Channel, Gold Rush, where they're up in the Klondike finding gold, and it's, it's fascinating for me at the beginning how, how they do this, and, and they have these giant things called wash plants, and they run the material, this dirt that they dig up through these wash plants, and often these wash plants, they have shakers, and they have screens, and they separate out the material, right? And at each level, a different material is separated out. And I feel like the last 20 months, we feel like as your pastors, the last 20 months, that many people, it feels like we've been put through a wash plant. And at every screen, some stay, some go through, and then there's another screen, and some stay, some go through. And at the end of it, you end up in a screen with people who look like you, think like you, act like you, vote like you. And you just sit in that screen by yourself. And I thought, as I thought about that word, I thought it's not, it's not that screen, it's, it's this screen, right? We get screened out. We curate our feeds or they're curated for us. And somehow it's just people that look like us, think like us, act like us, vote like us, that we are around. We've been divided. And one of the reasons we have thought about, talked about, and prayed about this series for so long is because it ought not be so in the body of Christ. And we want to talk about the ways that the fact that what Pastor Marvin just talked about you know, this communion, that this, that we have divided over so much less, that we, have, that we have somehow allowed things to come between us and break fellowship within the body of Christ, that we've broken the body of Christ in some ways, and we want to talk about that, that this fact that we do, we live as elect, chosen those who have accepted faith in Jesus Christ, but we also live as exiles in a world that's not our home. See, it's not that one pastor said, it's not the boat in the water that's the problem, right? You know that. It's the water in the boat that becomes a problem. It's not that the church exists in a secular world that divides itself. It's that the secular world that divides itself and the thinking starts to come into and infiltrate the church. 
And so we're elect, but we're exiles. Peter also says, yes, you have this hope. You have this hope, but you also experience trials. Why is it so painful at times? You also experience trials. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. That's great. We rejoice in the hope. We love that part. Look at the next part of the verse. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here's where Peter says, you've got hope in the world, but you also have trials in the world. Living as an exile means hope and pain and trials and difficulties and hardships. Anyone who told you you come to follow Jesus and you'll never experience trials or difficulty lied to you. It says right here, Peter, you, you, you have been grieved by various trials. You'll experience that. I'll experience that. And we also want to take some time to just recognize, like, let's just say, call the last 20 months what it is. Let's just say it's been hard. Can we just say that since March 2020, things have been difficult at times, sometimes in little ways and sometimes in big ways, but there have been trials. It's been hard. I mean, sometimes there's been the volcanic, you know, eruption that that all of a sudden we're all kind of reeling and responding to, but always there's been this undercurrent lava flow in our lives that has been difficult for us. And you might say, why the pain? Why the hardship? It's been hard on many of us, and we want to talk about what it's done to us and how we ought to be responding in the body of Christ and living through it. It was my first pandemic. I'm guessing it was yours too. And we probably will do better next time. We'll, 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 get it. we'll get some things that we got wrong this time right next time. We tried to make the best decisions for our family, for our community, for our nation, for our church. We probably got some things right. We certainly got some things wrong. And we don't always know which is which at this point. But it was hard. Can you remember what it's been like? I mean, right from the beginning, we were starved for information, just trying to get enough information to make the perfect decision about each thing in our lives. But every time, as soon as you got to the place where you're like, I know this is all right. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Someone would send you an article or a website that would be the complete opposite of what you just decided. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, maybe I'm not right. And we got decision fatigue and we got tired and we got irritable and angry at times. It was hard. Remember when you first heard that there was no toilet paper in the grocery store? And you thought, like I thought, no way. I was just there. It's always there. You must have been looking in the wrong aisle. Right? And then you went, and it wasn't there. And a lot of other things weren't there. And it's a little, you know, you're trying to find it, and and now you look back, and and you're like, maybe it's a little thing, but maybe you thought it out loud, or maybe it just was a lingering thought you never even acknowledged, but there was something within us, I think, that said, what else might not be there? 
What else has always been there that might not be there? Would certain foods all of a sudden be gone? Would all food be gone? A fear started to creep in. Now when I go to a store and I got to get toilet paper, I'm buying like three batches of it, right? I don't know when it's going to be gone, but what else might be gone? Relationships, your health, your freedom. All of a sudden we started to think what else that we've always depended on. I mean, it made things hard. It was hard when we were told that the most loving thing we could do was keep distance from people, people we loved. I, some of you work in industries where it's a necessary term, but I never used the term social distance before March 2020. I didn't even know what it meant. And now it's a part of our everyday vocabulary. But it was hard because we didn't quite understand why, but for their safety and ours, we had to stay away from them. We were told this is the most loving thing to do, and perhaps it was, and maybe it was all necessary, and who knows how many lives may have been spared because of it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. Whether you think it was right or wrong, that's not really the point. It affected and affected all of us, and it was hard, and let's just acknowledge that. It's not about, see, I was right, see, I was right here, I got it right, they were wrong. We're not talking about that, we're just talking about the fact that it was a trial, and it was difficult. My kids were in Zoom school for a while, and if you have kids, they likely were too. That was hard, right? Learning how to learn and how to work all in the same house. Suddenly the open design concept that so many of our modern houses embraced seemed like a horrible idea. We thought we always wanted all of us to be home, and then we were. (laughs) Then our home became our office, our school, our lunchroom, our conference room, and it was hard. There were trials. We made it fun, as fun as we could. We took advantage of a unique time together, but it doesn't mean it wasn't difficult and there wasn't a trial. Some of you are teachers, and you had to learn to talk to a computer and lead children, and that was hard. We kept our kids out of school to keep them safe, and then are realizing that many of them were damaged emotionally and socially. It was our first pandemic. We were learning. People got sick and we couldn't visit. Some died and we couldn't be with their family. We didn't know the scars it would leave. We didn't know how much we'd be risking by bringing a meal over or giving them a hug. Would it really kill us to go sit with them? Some people said it might, so we stayed or we went with fear, hoping nothing would happen. There were difficulties, national difficulties, personal difficulties, church difficulties. In the midst of all this, racial tensions that have always been there, but either went ignored or shouldered, boiled to the surface. We had people in the church upset by what we didn't say. We had people in the church upset by what we did say. 
We have people that left and aren't here because of both either what we did or what we didn't say at times. And it was difficult. We had people in our church. Again, I'm not talking about, this is the time, I'm not talking about out there. I'm not talking about even the larger church. I'm just talking about at Mount Hope. We learned that during this time that we have people who are sitting with us every week that are sitting beside you today worshiping that experienced and experiencing an immense amount of pain that they carry when it comes to the racial tensions in our country. And we didn't do well listening all the time. Few of us were slow to speak and quick to listen as the Bible calls us to. Sometimes we got defensive, sometimes we dug at our heels, sometimes we spoke and were formulating our response before we even listened to the pain that someone was trying to share. We didn't listen very well to each other. We didn't love each other very well. There was so much going on at the time. I remember our board meeting in early June. We had been closed, the buildings had been closed for three months having church online since March 20th. And we were just looking at opening that Sunday, the first Sunday in June there. uh, And we were looking at opening the buildings for the first time and all that that would take, distancing, regulations, all the kinds of things that would be involved. And I remember going on that Zoom board meeting and saying to the board that, that day that if you had told me a week ago that we would come to this meeting and our top agenda item would not be whether and how we are going to open our buildings, I would have thought you were crazy, but it wasn't our top agenda item that day. Because we came to that meeting and said there's pain in our country It's in our church. And it was with people, even on that call in that meeting, that were carrying pain in their lives and hurt that we had not done a very good job of hearing and loving each other with. I'm not talking about out there. I'm not talking about all the talking heads on TV. I'm just talking about here. People we love. People you worship beside. People we just sang songs with together. And it was hard. It was hard at times to navigate these things. Regardless of a stance on the issue, we didn't walk and talk with people the way we should have. Very few of us were quick to listen and slow to speak. It was also a presidential election year. I'm not sure if you heard. Not just any presidential election, one of the most controversial, most anyone could remember. We tried to tell ourselves, it's like this every year. It's the same when it was Clinton or Bush or Obama, but it wasn't the same. We didn't come out of it the same way. The divisions were deeper. The conversations were shallower. Everyone had a microphone and nobody wanted to listen. There was a huge amount of fear that pervaded everywhere. Were we being manipulated by Facebook? Was it us? Was it an algorithm? What do we really think and believe? What's right? This brought division. Brought it into the country. It brought it into the nation. It brought it into families. Brought it into the church. And often the only one who won 
was the enemy of our souls and the enemy of God's church. By us not talking, by us not listening. Trials, hardships, difficulties that came in. It would just be, I'm not talking about who's right, who's wrong, what your stance is on the issues. Don't, don't get this conversation wrong. We're talking about how we navigate them, how we love each other, what's important enough to keep us together, what is of little importance that we've broken fellowship over, these pains that have come in. It's been painful. We'll talk about those more in the future weeks. This message is kind of a preview of the series, but I want this morning to address, I want to be fair, address the question that I just brought up. Why the pain? Can any good come out of the trials? Can any good come out of the difficulty? Peter, at the end, we, verse 6, he said, you experience various trials, but in verse 7, there are two words that start that next verse in verse 7, and these are the words, so that... Would you say those two words with me? So that. It says you are grieved by various trials. And let us just say, yes, we are grieved. We ought to be grieved by the trials, the hardship, the trouble, the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our own lives. We're grieved by them, Peter says, and we ought to be. But then he says, so that. Here's the reason for them. Here's something good that can come out of them. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter says. Yeah, you're going to be, you're exiles, and you're living in a world that doesn't worship God, so you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience difficulty. It's going to be hard talking to one another, understanding one another, loving one another. It's going to be hard, but there's good that can come out of it so that your faith might be tested, and it might come out, and it might be preserved and purified. Your faith that's even more precious than gold. I used to read this passage, and the many times I've read it, I thought, oh, it's comparing our faith to gold. Like our faith goes through the process just like gold, and it's, it's purified, and, and our faith and gold are the same thing. Like that's what, it's, that's what he's saying. That's not what he's saying here. He says your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. More is not comparison. More is contrast. He's saying, no, no, no. Even the purest gold isn't as valuable as the faith you will have that will come out of the trials that you experience. Your faith will be so purified. Your trust in God, your understanding of who God is will be so purified, will be so uh, pleasing to God that it'll be even more than gold that is gonna perish, that's not gonna outlast this world, but your faith and your soul will. And by going through trials, it'll result in praise and glory and honor to God. And that's, what we live for. We live to bring praise and honor and glory for God. And God tells us that one of the ways that that happens is by walking through these trials. So yeah, it's been difficult 20 months and it's been hard. But what if God has been directing and leading us through it? 
What if God has a purpose for it? I remember having a conversation with someone back in May of 2020, and this person was lamenting, oh, what the enemy's doing, what the enemy, this is, this is a problem. And, and, and I just reminded this person, God has not left the throne. God is still sovereign. And what if God is working his plan? What if God is preparing his church for something that he knows is coming that we need to understand how to meet in Zoom groups and small groups? How We need to understand how to navigate loving each other and what's really important, that we need to know how, what the church really is supposed to be about, that it's not supposed to be about marketing and advertising and building bigger buildings, that it's really supposed to be about loving each other and glorifying God. And what if God is purifying his church? Because God has not left the throne. God is still sovereign. God is still powerful. Because Peter says, if you go back to verse 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, you are exiles. God knew that you're going to live in this place at this time. Didn't take him by surprise. What if God's at work in your life, purifying your faith, strengthening you so that you might bring further praise and glory and honor to God? Let me close with just touching upon our our final question. How are we supposed to live in this world? We're really going to spend the next four weeks on this topic. How are we supposed to live in this world? The, I think there are, Three options that are often chosen when we take this reality that you are elect exiles, that you're following Jesus in a world that's not your home, that you're passing through. I think there's often three options that are, that are popular, that are chosen, that even in this time, this last 20 months, we've seen people choose. One is hopeless compromise. Well, forget it. How are you going to live for Jesus in this world? And we, the idea of you just got to go along with the world around. You just, you just look... We just, that's the way it is, and we just hopeless compromise, throw up our arms, just become like the world. Instead of being in the world and not of the world, it is the in the world and of the world option. We just throw up our arms and become like the world around us. The Jewish people, this happened to some of the Jewish people at the time. Forget it. We're just going to be Babylonians. Forget our Jewish heritage. Forget worshiping the one God. We'll worship the Babylonian gods. Hopeless compromise. I think a second option sometimes chosen is fearful isolation. Well, we, we, we can't, we, we've just got to pull in the ranks. And we, we're afraid of everything that's out there, so we'll just keep it all together in here. And we're just going to isolate, and we're going to pull back, and it's just going to be us four and no more. And we'll just fearfully kind of, but just close ranks and the world can just fend for itself. That's a polite way to put it. Because we need to protect ourselves. So fearful isolation. Or maybe it's restless revolt. Oh, we're not gonna. We're not gonna isolate. We're gonna revolt. We're gonna. We're gonna fight. We're gonna. You know. We need to. Stand our ground, take some ground. We need to show them who's boss. We need to show them. Restless revolt is often one that's chosen. 
We've all seen it. Sometimes we see it in ourselves. Sometimes we see it in people around us. I think there's another option that God is calling us to that we'll tease out more over the coming weeks, and we'll call it faithful engagement. That you and I are called to stay faithful to God and to engage a world around us that is in need of light in the midst of darkness, that is in need of being able to see the way God has called and created people to live. James Davidson Hunter is a sociologist down at University of Virginia. He's a Christian sociologist. He's written a book called To Change the World. I recommend it to you if you're into, it's a little more of an academic text. But his phrase is faithful presence, and I like that one too. Faithful presence, that you are called to be present, to have proximity to the world, and yet stay faithful to God. You are called to be in the world, but not of the world. You are called to have proximity and distinction. That's the only way you're going to be of any help. That's who God has called us to be, faithful engagement. I know this because in Jeremiah, it says this, the end of that chapter 29, verse 4, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We read that part. Here's what it says next. Here's how you're supposed to live. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You might say, that sounds like fearful isolation. The next verse, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it's, in its welfare you will find welfare. Faithful engagement. Faithful engagement. Not fearful isolation, not restless revolt, faithful engagement. Peter, and this is where we're going to close because this is going to be our jumping off point for the next four weeks. Peter says this, chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor. And we're going to park on those four phrases for the next four Sundays. We're going to look at each of those phrases and talk about what that means for us. How do we live that out? Because Peter is writing to elect exiles, people living in a place that's secular and divided. And how are you supposed to live? And he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And we'll talk about what that means for each of us. And I don't know which one of those you struggle with or one of those you say, I don't know what that means or I don't know how to live that out. We're going to try and look at how we as faithful followers of Jesus live that out over the next several weeks. I think this is an important question. It's important because we are to be the church. And when we come in these walls, 
we come hurt and broken and from a world and we bring some of that with us and we need to have a place where we live as followers of Christ first and allow God to do the work in us and through us that he wants to do. Gordon Smith wrote a book, another book I'll recommend to you, and we're going to put some resources together. We'll put it in the loop and stuff, resources we recommend. A lot of us have been reading a lot of things on this topic. One book that's been very helpful to Pastor Brian and myself is called Wisdom from Babylon. It was written by Gordon Smith. I recommend it to you. And he says this. He says, we gather on Sunday as a people who are deeply aware of the ways in which we live and work in a deeply fragmented world. Our worship is not a denial or an escape from this world, but rather a liturgical encounter with God wherein we can affirm that even in the darkness, there is light. We will not despair, but will lament for our world and speak hope to our world. Not the hope of false sentimentality or religious cliche, but the hope that is grounded in the history of God. This is what we gather for. We gather together as the people of God to be something different, to trust Christ, not because we are perfect, not because we, we, we're far from it, we're broken, but we trust in Christ. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, do a work within us even now as we, what we've heard and what we're considering and what you continue to want to speak to us. Lord, we are your church. And whether it's the first century or the 21st century, God, it's hard to live in this world. And it's a challenge to live here staying true to you and following you and worshiping you and glorifying you and loving each other. It's not easy to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, to honor the emperor. Lord, show us, show us in our own heart what you want to change and what you want to work. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. And may our lives, having walked through trials, having walked through the hardship of the last 20 months and then beyond that, before and after, may those lives result in praise and glory and honor to our God. Teach us how to live in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing this song of worship? Well, it seems like the Lord has something to say to the church. Coming out of a time like this, it's impacted us in so many different ways. It's impacted us as a church, as staff, as people who attend and communities. It's impacted us in so many different ways. So we've suffered, we've experienced hardship, we've experienced pain. And sometimes it's not just pain for pain's sake, but instead we're reminded this morning that the Lord is at work. Romans 8 constantly reminds us that the Lord is at work. Even in our hardships, even in our trials, He is doing something good. 
And let's hold on to that hope. Let's hold on to that, that confidence in him. Because that even in our pain, he is refining us into the one that he wants us to be. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be talking through what that refining looks like. We're going to be talking through some of the lessons we've learned over these last few, few months. And we're going to talk through that. But we're also aware that even as we're talking, uh, that you have questions. That you have, you have things that are going through your mind. You have things about today's passage that you want to ask us. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity to be able to interact with us in a very unique way. We did this last week. Um, Will, would you put that number up on the screen? So here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, I know questions will come up in your mind about, hey, how do I handle this? How do, we, how do you see this one? text us at this number. Save it. Put it in your phone. It's anonymous. Definitely send it over to us, and we'll try to address it over the next few weeks. And maybe we may not get to it here on the platform, but we'll try to do it over the loop or so. Yeah, a couple things we're going to do as part of our services throughout this series. One is we're going to take a time. That's why Pastor Marvin and I wanted to close out this service together today. In the next four Sundays, we'll take some time for a discussion and question and answer right at the end of the service to discuss some of those questions that come in. And, uh, and so we're going to do that in the coming weeks. So text us some of your questions there. We're also going to, for the month of November, uh, take communion every week as a part of our worship together, as a part of our reminder of this idea of what is most important together for us and what binds us together. So these are a couple things. I'll give you one piece of homework. Uh, if you, whether you read it or not, go read First Peter this week. And read it multiple times. It takes 15 minutes. Five chapters. You can do it in 15 minutes at a pretty moderate reading pace. I would encourage you to read it several times this week. Ask the Lord to speak to you as you read it and read God's word as you read through it. Absolutely. And we pray that even as we have been impacted by this word, that it will bring an impact into your lives as well. Have a great week, everyone. God bless you.